Well, hey, everybody, it's great to be with you today. I got a question for you. Have you ever tried to free yourself from one frustrating or bad situation only to end up making the circumstances even worse than they were before? I mean, when you think about it, we do this kind of thing all the time with jobs or relationships or even insurance companies, right? You, you make a change because you think that it's going to be better, and it very rarely ends up being the case that it works out like you thought it would. When I was in college, I was in this humanities course, and we, we were forced to watch this film. And it was hours long, and it was basically the worst thing that's ever been made, I'm pretty sure of it. But somewhere in the middle of that, you know, trying to prop my eyes open, I leaned over to my friend and I said, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go to the restroom. And he said, uh, I can't take it either. I'm going to go with you. And now the restroom in this place was all the way down in the front of the building, underneath the screen. So everybody in the place is already having their, their focus and their, the way they're looking down the aisle to the screen. And so we go wandering up in there, and we go into the restroom. And as we come back out of the restroom, we see it, our chance for freedom. Because right across the other side of the restroom door is another door that goes outside. The only problem is that door has like one of those big panic bars on it with a big old thing that says, you know, exit, emergency only, Alarm will sound, all that kind of stuff. But it's like both of us at the same time got the same idea. And we just stopped and stared at that door. And we said, all right, what if we both just run as fast as we can out the door? And the key is we just keep running. Don't look back. Just keep running because it's all about commitment. So we gave ourselves a little bit of a pep talk. We thought this was a brilliant idea. I realize it doesn't sound so smart now, but we counted it down. Three two, one, and we took off. And I mean, we could feel the outside air and we could smell the smells from coming outside. And then as the door closed and locked behind us, we could see that we were now stuck on the roof of the building. We were on the roof of the building and we had no way to get down. We were trapped. And as the rest of the class, because they then, of course, had to evacuate because the alarm was going off, came outside, they all sort of looked up at us, and we were humiliated, and we were embarrassed. I pretty much think that the only reason that we didn't actually get in trouble was because public safety just could not believe that we were actually stupid enough to do it in the first place. So they just let us go. But how about you? Have you ever tried to fix a frustrating situation only to end up making things worse for yourself? And now it's one thing if we're just talking about simple stuff like trying to put out a grease fire with water. Just take my word for that one if you haven't tried it. But what about when the things we're talking about are deeply challenging and it seems like there's no way out? Times when we feel hopeless and trapped. What happens then? Where do we turn in these moments when we feel like we're held captive, whether it's spiritually or, or physically or emotionally, when we feel trapped? And this may be especially true during this particular time in our lives, in a world, and even in our own church, where things are very uncertain. And so I think now more than ever, we've got to turn to God to see what does God actually have 
to say about all of this. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his public ministry, he makes an announcement, and part of that is that he has come to set captives free. Now, not just then, but right now, in, in our lives today, he's here to set captives free, captives that are just like you and me. So no matter what may be holding you captive, no matter how you might feel trapped by the circumstances in your life or the challenges that you face, Jesus has come to set us free. He's come to unleash hope in our lives in a way that changes absolutely everything. And one of the best examples of this unleashing, of this kind of freedom, is found in Acts chapter 16. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at Acts 16 and how God is working in and through that situation to unleash hope in that particular situation, but also how hope is unleashed in our circumstances right now today. But before we dive in, let's just pray together for just a moment. Lord Jesus, we come before you today with all kinds of things that challenge us, all kinds of struggles in our lives that you know even better than we do. And Lord, in a, in a world that seems so full of uncertainty, Lord, would you just come and quiet our hearts and let us listen to what you have to say to us? Would you come and make good on your promise to set us free? And Lord, we, we pray for our church, too, in the midst of this time of uncertainty. We pray for Pastor Jason. We ask, Lord, that you, you come alongside him and you transform him and you heal him and you restore him in ways that only you can do, Lord. And we pray that during this time for our church that we come alongside one another and that we hold one another up and we remind each other of who you are and how you continue to work in and through all of the circumstances we find so challenging. Lord, you're right there. We thank you for not leaving us to ourselves, Lord, but being with us every step of the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts today, chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 to 34. It's going to be on the screen as well, so you can follow along there. Now, if you don't know, the book of Acts is essentially a continuation of the gospel of Luke. So even though they're not located next to each other or anything like that in your Bible, essentially Acts picks up in a lot of cases, where Luke leaves off. And it continues the story of what happens after the church has begun. It tells the story of when the Holy Spirit comes and the, and the church begins, and it follows particularly some key people that we know and hear about a lot. Peter, the Apostle Peter, and also the Apostle Paul. And so the story that we're looking at today has a lot to do about following Paul and Silas as they're on this missionary journey. And so uh, this particular mission trip that they're on takes them through this place called Philippi. And Philippi is a Roman colony that's in, actually located in Southeast Europe, uh, what we would call Southeast Europe today. And while this colony is not physically close to Rome, it's, from a cultural perspective, just about as Roman as it gets. 
And so what I mean by that is that they tended to worship lots of Greek gods that might sound familiar to us like Zeus or Athena or Apollo, these kind of Greek gods. It was a very pagan society. And that, that helps us with a little bit of understanding about the whole context of the situation that we're talking about here. But let's jump in here at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, this is Paul and Silas uh, along with some other people. As we were going to the place of, of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And so Paul and Silas and the others are on the way down to the river because there's not like a physical place for them to go to pray. And so they meet down by the river. And they met this slave girl along the way who is being possessed and oppressed by people in a physical sense because she's a slave, but she's also being possessed by an unclean spirit. And this spirit, this unclean spirit enables her to speak and tell fortunes, like basically sit down and tell people something about their future. And so it's thought that this unclean spirit has something to do with Apollo, who was the Greek god of prophecy. And so you see that kind of from a cultural perspective, this is all sort of mixed together. And here are Paul and Silas and the others who are bringing something totally different to the scenario. And the owners of this slave girl are making money. They're exploiting this, this whole fortune telling piece of this so that they can make money for themselves. And so when Paul and Silas in the group encounters these people, I wish what we could read in the story is that Paul recognized immediately how terrible this situation was for this slave girl and that he intervened immediately to fix it. But that's not quite the way it happened. Instead, the whole chain of events gets put into motion because Paul gets frustrated. He gets frustrated. Look at verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Now the interesting part is that it's, it's not that what she was saying was the problem. Paul wasn't complaining about that because she wasn't really saying anything that wasn't true. They were, after all, in Paul's own words, slaves to Christ Jesus. And they were indeed going around proclaiming the way of salvation. So maybe it's just that all this yelling was creating confusion. We don't actually really know for sure. But what we do know is that when Paul called upon the name of Jesus Christ, the spirit left her. The spirit left her at the sound of the name of Jesus. And I think this is where things get even a little bit more interesting. Paul had no power, certainly in him, himself, to actually cast out any kind of unclean spirit. But he knew that that kind of power had to come from somewhere else. That's why he calls upon the name of Jesus. And he certainly knew that this unclean spirit was no match for Apollo or a spirit of Apollo or whatever. 
he knows that Jesus is the one who is finally and completely in control. And so he calls upon Jesus, even though he does it kind of out of selfish motivation. He wanted to change the circumstances of the situation. He was annoyed and he was frustrated. And so he did this because he wanted her to go away or wanted her to be quiet. But still, even in the midst of that, maybe it's the wrong motivation, God still showed up. The girl was still freed from spiritual possession just at the sound of the name of Jesus. And so I think that this gives us hope on a couple of different levels. First, I think it's actually quite comforting to remember that Paul is just a person. And because he's a person, he is certainly not perfect. And none of us are perfect either. And so he was annoyed at the situation and he tried to change the circumstances. I don't know about you, but I get annoyed and try to change circumstances all the time. But if God showed up, even with Paul's bad motivation and, in, and his imperfections, then I think that we can have hope that God shows up in our lives too, even in our imperfect situations, even when we don't get things right. God still shows up. And secondly, and more importantly, we can find hope in the fact that when we call upon the name of Jesus, that things actually change. Now, we got to be careful here because it, what I'm not saying is that Jesus is somehow like a genie of some sort and we can call upon him and he'll just give us whatever we want. But what I am saying is that we can trust that when we call upon his name, he is actually working in and through us in powerful ways, more ways than we will likely ever even be able to comprehend. And this power is described at the end of his letter to the Romans. Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the kind of power, this Holy Spirit power that Paul is talking about here is not something like, you know, plugging in your phone charger into the wall or something like that. It's explosive power. Matter of fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here is dynamē for the word power, which is actually where we get the word dynamite. So we have this explosive power that is unleashed anytime the name of Jesus is preached and proclaimed and declared. It changes everything. So for the slave girl, boom, the unclean spirit is gone, which is great. But this kind of explosive gospel power can also have unpredictable circumstances and unpredictable consequences as well, especially in a world that rejects Jesus at every opportunity. And why is that? Well, it's because the kingdom of God is a direct threat to everything about the way that the world works. Everything becomes threatened about the way we understand things to work in the world when Jesus confronts them. And so as soon as the unclean spirit was gone and the fortune-telling business was over, the people started to get very angry. They were no longer able to exploit this girl 
to actually make money for themselves. And so it changed the whole economic system in their particular case, and they were outraged. And so all of a sudden, things started to go real bad real quick for Paul and Silas. Look at what happens in verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And then when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So we can see that the kind of change that the gospel brings about is not always something that the world appreciates. In fact, quite the opposite. When Jesus' very existence, just simply calling upon his name, threatened the economic and religious systems, even of his time when he was physically on the earth, he was relentlessly persecuted and ultimately tortured and killed for it. And here now we see the same kind of thing happening to Paul and Silas. Judged only by an angry mob rule, stripped of their clothing and humiliated, beaten with rods, and then put into the inner prison. Not just any part of the prison, but the inner prison, which is what you and I would probably understand as the dungeon. So we're talking about their feet are in stocks, meaning they can't move around. Their wrists and arms are in chains and they're in the inner prison, no light, no windows, no ability to even see or even move around. And so I think it's fair to ask, well, where is their hope now? Had God forgotten about them? I mean, they were on a mission trip for crying out loud. How could things go this bad? How could it end up like this? And could we really blame them if at this point they just said, you know what, that's it. I'm done with this whole faith thing. I'm done with following this Jesus. All it does is end up causing me heartache and more problems. My situation has gone from bad to worse. I'm now in prison. So I'm just going to walk away from the whole thing. I can't take it anymore. But instead, look at verse 25 and see how they respond. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So in other words, in the darkest hour, in the darkest place, where despair would certainly be understandable, if not expected, Paul and Silas did three key things. They prayed, they praised and they proclaimed the name of Jesus. And you see, in a bizarre turn of events, in the middle of this prison, in the inner room during the darkest hour, they found themselves having a platform for bringing hope to others. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of their struggle and all of the things going wrong for them, God uses them as a means of bringing hope to other people. First, they prayed. 
They turn to God in faith. Instead of rejecting that faith, they turn to God in faith, knowing that far from forgetting about them or, or abandoning them, God himself was actually right there with him. God was with them. And God is no stranger to suffering. We oftentimes think like, well, if we're suffering, that must mean God is upset with me. No, I don't think that that's actually true at all. I think we, throughout the Bible, we see that when people are struggling, suffering, facing challenges, God comes alongside them. It may not immediately end those circumstances, but that doesn't mean that God is not there and it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. They knew in this particular place, even in the midst of that prison, that God was closer to them than even their very breath. Because God doesn't run from our struggles. He conquers them. God doesn't run from our struggles. He conquers them. But that doesn't mean that it always works out just the way we want it to. It doesn't mean that God automatically spares us from all of the, the heartache and sadness and sickness in the world. We are promised, yes, for sure, we are promised that one day everything will be overcome in the end. But we're not promised that it will be just the way that we want it to be. But that does not mean that God isn't there or that he doesn't care. And sometimes, and, and more often than we ever realize, miracles happen. Miracles still happen today. But look at, look at how it ends up for these guys in verse 26. Paul and Silas, they're praising God in the midst of their suffering. They sang the songs of praise. And while they're worshiping and their hands are chained and their feet were in the stocks, they were bringing glory to God but they were also bringing comfort to the other prisoners. And again, in their far, than, far from ideal circumstances, they became this delivery mechanism and a miracle happened. Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So I just, I don't want us to miss this image. Because here you have a prison full of non-believers, people that most likely have never even heard of Jesus. And now these people have experienced the praying and the praising from Paul and Silas. And because of the explosive power of the gospel, their chains fell off too. When hope is unleashed, the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change things, change things in the whole community. The whole community is impacted by this. And it even makes its way all the way into the ears and down to the heart of probably the most unlikely of people right here in verse 29. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so the third thing that we talked about is proclaiming. They proclaimed the good news of Jesus to this jailer and also to his family. The jailer made a confession. He obviously knew at some level that he needed to be saved from something because he asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And the answer that Paul gives him comes in the form of a proclamation. Now, Sometimes we get confused by that word and we think proclamation means, well, he told a story about Jesus or, or he told how God had been working in his life. And not that those things are not good. Those are all good. They're all very good. But in order to unleash the power of the gospel, we've got to actually be able to proclaim it to one another. Proclaim it so that people don't have any sense of, well, I, I don't know, uh, does that mean me? Is that for me? Because think about what Paul says. It's very specific. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. That's a specific promise given to specific people. It takes all the ambiguity out of it. So you don't have to wonder anymore. Well, does that mean me? Could it mean my situation? Well, yes. It means you. Today, right now, it means you. no matter what the challenges are that you face today, no matter what struggles you are wrestling with, there is hope in the name of Jesus that will break the chains that bind you, no matter how strong you think they are. He's stronger. When we trust and we believe in who Jesus is, he is the one who sets the captives free. And so here's today's big idea. Find your freedom in Jesus. Find your freedom in Jesus. Think about how much time we spend looking for freedom in everything but Jesus. We try everything we can. Maybe it's money, it's power, it's sex, it's drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, whatever the world can offer us is nothing more than a distraction and oftentimes makes the problems that we have exponentially worse than they were. So our solutions, the solutions that we come up with, that the world offers us, actually usually take us down the road of disaster, not toward freedom. But Jesus comes and he offers true freedom. And so the question I have for you today is what are the chains that God needs to break in your life? What are the chains that God needs to break in your life? We're going to try this just as you gathered online here, whether you're on uh, our live stream or whether you're on Facebook, we're going to post a little link right now. And the link is just simply for you to respond to this question. The question is, what are the chains that God needs to break in your life?
And so go ahead and click on that link and fill that out. Now, this is anonymous. It doesn't uh, have your name. It doesn't have your email address. We can't track it, but we just want to know. We want to have to be a place as a church where we know what each of us is struggling with in terms of the chains that we feel are binding us so that we can pray for you. We can pray for all of us that no matter our circumstances, that God will come and loose the chains. So just Take a minute here and we'll actually uh, do this together. As you think about the chains that you're asking God to break for you today in your life, in your situation, in your struggle, I want you to know that our Lord Jesus came for you. He died for you and he was raised to new life for you so that you would become his very own, that you would be a sheep of his own fold. And so he comes today and he offers you freedom. In fact, he's so committed to you that he chose you before the foundations of the world to be with him and to come and live with him in his kingdom. Not just after you die or anything like that, but right now he offers you the opportunity to live in his kingdom right now now. And he's promised to break the chains that bind you, that he alone has the power to break. He has already paid the price, the great cost that it took to redeem all of us and to redeem you. And he did this not with silver and gold, but with his holy and precious and innocent blood. So that when we come to him and we trust him and we believe in him, we know deep down inside that he has the ability to take and break our chains. Then that trust and that belief is what actually saves us. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we thank you for coming alongside us and for breaking the chains that bind us. Lord, in the way that you see fit, the way that you know we need. We thank you that you do not leave us to figure this out for ourselves, but instead that you come and you actually take the burdens from us. You break the chains that bind us and you set us free so that we can come to live in your kingdom. Lord, this is something that we know we don't deserve, but we absolutely thank you for it. We trust you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.